And so we, in, we value encounters and part of the message today, and I'm going to put a title on this so that you know where we're headed, spiritual boldness and godly courage and encounters. Because you see, when we have an encounter, things always change. And so as we uh, get started today, I, my, our goal is, is that some of the stuff that we have lived through, have gone through, and the experiences that we have will help someone else that is maybe not quite as old as we are not to have to go through what some of the stuff we went through because we didn't listen either. And so I cannot say that I had listened any more than some of you have but what we've learned, we will, uh, I'll talk about a little bit today. We'll give you some insight on some of the things that I have learned. And uh, if there's just one or two or three can come out of here as the sent ones, then we will have done our job. Because you see, whenever you get to the point where you do, you issue five little tiny words. And when you get ready to do that, you need to think about it because what you ask for, God will grant. And so how this all started is here I am, Lord, send me. And wow, guess what? He sent me. And so we want you to do that. We want you to think about that, that once you ask to be a sent one, God always honors, but sometimes you have to go through a period of preparation, which we did. And so, as I said, we were in, uh, fresh out of the prison from last night, and the group keeps growing. And the, the part of that uh, that's so important to us is that when we walked out, out to getting ready to leave, we had one of the ladies was waiting for us. And I call them ladies, not in, inmates, because when they're around us, they are ladies. We don't hear any curse words. We don't hear anything said that is not okay. And so when they come in, they feel and they begin to understand and they know what God does when they want him to. As I walked out, a lady come, came up to me and she said, are you um, um, Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> no, ma'am, we're not. She said, well, what are you and what group are you with? I said, well, we came in under a, a double uh, church group. We came in with Church on the Rock because it's one of the former people that we trained. And then we also take Bethel in. And so we are now currently from Bethel. We represent uh, them in the prison. She said, I want to come to your service. When, what are the times? And I said, first and third, uh, a Saturday night at 6 o'clock of uh, of the, for the prison minister when, ministry when we come in. And she said, well, I want to come. And I said, well, now, why would you decide that you want to come? And she said, because you're the talk of the prison now. And so thanks to Caitlin and uh, McCoby and God himself, our class is growing, and it grows each week. And then we have a few more come each and every time, and they always come with wide eyes when McCoby and Caitlin began to talk about uh, their testimonies, and then they moved into words of knowledge, wisdom, and they began to start the process that they began to understand healing. We saw some healings last night that 
were very verifiable because the ladies got up and spoke about what they felt and how it left. And so we're, we're very encouraged and uh, uh, we're happy to have some people going in with us because, you know, we've seen some stuff. And after 56 years of marriage and 78 years of life, We've seen some stuff. And so if anything that we can impart today will will, uh, help you to avoid some of the pitfalls, then that's what our goal is. And so uh, a lot of people, and we hear this a great deal, is I have no idea what my purpose is. Well, maybe the Bible tells us a little bit about what our purpose is. And if you look at... uh, uh, Mark 16:15, and again in Matthew, last chapter, it says that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel for every creature. And so there's a little bit more of that that we'll get into a little bit later. But if that is the purpose that we're put here for, and I believe that it is, I believe that's our purpose. God laid it out very plainly for us, and he told us what our purpose was that we're, we were to go and that we were to take the gospel to every creature. Next comes the issue of destiny because you see destiny is a little bit different. Then your destiny comes when you begin to find out and ask God how you're going to achieve that goal. And so destiny then becomes the workings to produce your purpose. And so the destiny that you go through and the things that you go through are just a preparation time to fulfill your purpose in life. That's what I believe. I also believe that as, as we uh, look at the Bible, sometimes I wonder if we don't miss a little bit of uh, the things that God put that in there for us to utilize and to see. And uh, we'll go to uh, uh, Peter was one of Peter's one of my favorites, and uh, uh, the part of it where he walks on water, everyone knows the story about it and how what it was. But I'm going to look at it from just a little bit different uh, perspective uh, today. And you see, Peter was a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. He was on a lake in a boat. I have a boat. I've been there. I've done all that. I've been on the lake when the water was so rough, I didn't think we were going to survive it. I've had a boat half full of water before we turned the corner to get in past the jetty. Tackle box floating, and I thought, oh, dear, this is it. We're done. And somehow that the boat stayed afloat, and the engine kept running, and we cleared the jetty, and we were in calm water. Peter knew all this. He knew how dangerous the the lake was. He knew how dangerous rough water was. And they got caught out on the the lake. And then he sees some creature, something coming across the water. And when the object gets close enough, what does he do? They're scared. They're terrified. And he says, it is I. And Peter did something that was I wouldn't have done. I don't have that kind of courage. I just don't. And because I know what's going to happen when I step out of the boat, he did too. But guess what he did? When Jesus said, come, his, 
his godly uh, uh, courage, his boldness, because we know he was bold. And then he stepped out of the boat. And he stepped out of the boat with faith because he had been around the master enough and the encounters that he had seen had built his faith. You see, I believe that every time we have an encounter with God, it changes us. I don't think there's a time when you can have an encounter with the master and that something changes in your life. You'll change directions if you allow him to. Think about this. If we go through life and we believe that we have free will and free will becomes a dangerous thing if it's in the wrong hands. Free will is, represents the people that we go into prison to see. They utilize their free will. But if the, your free will and God's purpose and his destiny and all these things intersect, and it will intersect several times during your life. I can tell you, I've had intersections before and I turned them down and turned and went my own way. But you see, when you have enough courage, you have enough faith and that you can come to these intersections where you meet a, a heavenly encounter, you find and you meet the master and then things change. If you will allow him and you have the courage to turn and walk with him instead of walk your own way. And I think if you turn away, he will come back and he will intersect you a time and time and time again. And so the times that the intersection were for us or for me especially, I didn't take the call. I didn't uh, in, understand the intersection. And so I turned him away. And finally, he intersected again, and I said, here I am, Lord, send me. And so every one of you, I believe that every one of us, every one of you will have an intersection, that you'll have a moment in your life, or you'll have several moments in your life, when you will come to an intersection with God Almighty in his presence, and then you will have an option. Will I go my own way and continue with the troubles I've got, or will I turn, and then will I follow uh, God and I will find my destiny. And so it took a lot of years for, for me to give because you see, I grew up uh, maybe a little bit stubborn and my father was worse than I was. And so I'm accustomed to that. And so when I finally gave in and I yielded to the calling of God, then things changed for me. And if you want to understand a little bit about what I'm talking about, let's go to Moses. Moses was an in, in, a really interesting guy and you see, he didn't find that intersection until he was 80. And so maybe I wasn't quite as stubborn as Moses, huh? <laughs> that gives me a little bit of encouragement. And so you see the encounter that, uh, that Moses had. Moses found and saw on the side of a mountain a burning bush, and the, and the bush was not being consumed. And as he got closer, guess what? A voice came out of it. The voice of God spoke to him. That was his encounter. And what happened to Moses? Let me tell you folks something. If I, if I took my hand and stuck it in my pocket, I pulled it out and it's leprosy, solid white, and I knew what leprosy was, guess what? I'd make the right decision. <laughs> and so rather than face some entity or someone that could do that, and when you pulled it out and immediately was healed, that's my guy. 
that's the guy I want to follow. That's him. That's what I'm looking for. Someone that can do those things. And so uh, as Moses uh, uh, took the call and, and, and progressed to fulfill his destiny, sometimes we forget about the, the little people involved in all this. If we look at it in a little bit different perspective, because when he went in to set the captives free, when he went in to take them and, and free them from slavery, then all these millions, this million of Hebrews estimated, they saw some things. And because they saw some things, it helped them and it changed them. Because I don't think that you could live through 10 plagues in Egypt and you had frogs running everywhere, darkness settled in, the firstborn of the Egyptians all died. But in the land of Goshen, everything was fine. Light was still there, no frogs, no plagues. Everything was going along pretty good in the land of Goshen. And all these little people, the working people, the us's and the you's, saw all this stuff going on and were and I I can imagine that they were thinking oh dear what is going on how can this be 400 years we've been here and now here comes Moses and look at all the things that when he speaks God listens and God does and so they Pharaoh decided that he's going to let them go And so here they gather up, and uh, the feeble were not feeble, and their clothing lasted for all through the wilderness experience. God fed them, but they didn't know all that was coming. They just got ready to leave. And so here they gather up all of their belongings, and they plunder the Egyptians, and here they go, and they get to the edge of the Red Sea, and guess what? Like most of us, we reach a point and we say, oh, now what? And all of a sudden, they look behind and here comes the chariots and they're racing at all these little people. And they're not fighters, they're agricultural people and brick masons and builders. And here comes the greatest and the most powerful army on earth, and it's bearing down on them. And here they are. And what do you think is going on in their minds? Oh, dear, what have we done? And then all of a sudden, out of the sky comes a pillar of fire. Wow. Can you imagine for your, the first thing you're thinking is how painful is it going to be when they give me the sword or the spear? And all of a sudden, a pillar of fire comes and separates them from the Egyptian army. What do you think these people are thinking? Oh, my. Oh, my. God must be real. Here he is. But now we have another dilemma. We certainly can't go back that way because there's a pillar of fire. Well, here the Red Sea lies before us. What are we going to do? Well, the Red Sea parts and the walls of water standing up and it's beckoning them in. But who do you think is going to take the first step? Who's going to step on in? 
And so here they are, and they've got all this probabilities and possibilities of death all around them. And all of a sudden, someone says, I'll go. I'll be the one. Send me. I'll test it. If it gets me, then you won't need to worry about it. And so one or two or three or four or a few step off and go forward and they walk down into it and everything stays the same and then here comes the rest of the herd. But somebody had to be courageous enough to send me. And so because of the godly courage, the boldness to do it and an encounter. Listen, these people had had encounters because you could not go through what they had gone through to get them set free unless they had encounters with God and everything began to change whenever they had an encounter. And so what we, what changes us is when we have an encounter, a supernatural event, and then it begins to chase us. And the supernatural event can come from Kobe because when he speaks to you a prophecy or speaks or you feel a healing mercies of God flow all over you, guess what? It begins to change you. And so godly encounters are what we're looking for. And so we expect and we look and we search and we want godly encounters because when God comes on the scene and shows up, guess what? Everything begins to change. If you will allow him to take you under his, his wing and then he will show you and he will give you a path to go. Uh, all, a lot of this stuff, how do I know any of this stuff? Well, guess what? 42 years ago now, it's been 42 years ago, uh, we lived in South Dakota. And I worked for the Air Force in St. Louis, and uh, Judy graduated from high school and I graduated from college and I was working as a mathematician for the Air Force and we had decided to get married. And so we got married and she hated St. Louis and so we went back to Martin and I took a job uh, teaching math and science in the public school. In the next 15 years and two daughters and... Uh, I worked my way up the educational ladder and became, at the end of the 15 years, actually 12 years later, I was a superintendent of schools. Had a great job. Small town. Uh, very well thought of in the community. After the first year, I had a great teaching staff. And uh, my wife finished her degree, and she was a music and drama drama. Whoops. I wasn't supposed to tell you that she used to... <laughs> write, produce, and direct, and, and put on <laughs> drama performances. Now I'm going to get it. <laughs> uh, very, very creative, and so she was well thought, and the things that she did were so great that uh, people in the community loved what she was doing with her children. But I woke up one morning, and after... 15 years, three years in, in, in the position, and I thought, wow, there's got to be something more than just this, and where am I going to find it? And I felt like God said, you have to go back 
to Oklahoma. And so I told Judy, I said, I think we're on our way back to Oklahoma. And she said, oh, really? <laughs> My two daughters at that time were in school, and they said, oh, really? And if you've, if you've watched the Allstate commercial when the guy is breaking into the car and says, what? <laughs> That's what I saw. What? Or we're going to do what, Dad? And so we loaded up, no job, uh, no home. Uh, not sure where we were going, but we were headed back to Oklahoma. And when we got there, uh, I opened up. My dad had closed his body repair shop. I opened it back up, and Judy became a music teacher in, the, in the grade school, and we got started again. And, uh, and as uh, you begin to look back on some of the things that you have done, the decisions you've made, and you wonder why you did that, and so I gave up a world of education, highly educated people, and uh, the respect of being one of the most powerful men in the community because I, can't, I control their kids, and they couldn't. <laughs> and so because I could control their kids and they couldn't, I was respected. But we, I decided that to give all that up and go beat a little bit of metal on a fender and paint a car or two or 10 or 20 or 400 or whatever we went through. And so life became good again. I was working, she was working, kids were in great schools. And so everything was going along pretty good. And then we decided that we made a decision that would forever change our lives. And we began to go to a Pentecostal church. And in this Pentecostal church, all the gifts were there. And a lot of spiritual things were discussed, talked about, and preached from the pulpit. And we had learned a great deal. We learned things that we had did not know even existed in the word. And so when we found out there's nine gifts of the spirit and every, there's one of those that is mine. Well, I wanted it. And so we went through some, some with the baptism of the spirit that finally happened. And then we were on our way again. We both went to work in the church and were very active in the church and she was children's church uh, minister, and I looked after the K through six grade school children's church and children's program, and we got started. And lo and behold, these things always happen. At some point when you think you have everything <laughs> under control, guess what? It goes out of control. And so we had a major crisis in the family, our immediate family. We had a major crisis, and we faced a, a life or death situation. And doctors, psychiatrists, and counselors, and whatever could not solve it. And so we did the last best thing we knew to do. There was people in the church that would do some spiritual intervention. And guess what? During that spiritual intervention, I came face to face with some things that I didn't understand. 
I thought I knew enough about the scripture to not be uh, uh, surprised by any of it, but I met some things that were not of this world, and I did not understand them. I did not understand how that could happen, how I could miss all this and not understand that the, yeah, there's, a, there's a, uh, a spiritual world out there, the unseen realm that I needed to find out why some of these things were happening to me and to my children. And so I began to, de to devour um, some books and uh, I began to devour some things to better prepare me. And I began to slowly begin to step out of the box and I, people, listen, how many of you have ever been to a body shop to get an estimate over a wreck? And think about that. Once you go into a body shop, something has occurred. And so you're facing a, a being without a car in some cases. You may have uh, someone in the car that's in the hospital or his ER room or uh, things are not going well and you're going to be without a car for a week or two or three. And they become so upset that when they came into the body shop, guess who they took their anger out on? Me. We can't take that long. Can't cost that much. <laughs> and, and so when they, we would go through that, and then I stepped out of the box, and I asked a simple question. Could I pray for you? May I pray for you? And so in a short length of time, the body, the body shop came a place of prayer. I had pastors coming by. If I told you who they were, we'd, you'd know them. And so when they would come by, then we would have some great discussions. <laughs> and because of some of the things I'd seen, they hadn't and could not understand why as a pastor they hadn't seen them and a layman had. And so it became, it became a thing that I would have them, folks coming in all the time. I, my nephew almost lived with me from 5.30 in the afternoon when I closed till 7 at night because he was so curious that I almost couldn't get rid of him. And so things begin to dramatically take a change. And then again we start and we have another one of these crises. And this was a spiritual crisis. And this is one of those things in, in life that you go through and then you regret and that you wished you had known more and had known better what to do. And so one of the young men that worked for me came in one morning and said, a friend of mine is having some problems. Could he come in and see you after work? And I said, of course. He said, but maybe you don't understand all of it. And I said, so tell me about all of it. And he said, he's hearing voices. And the voices are telling him that he should kill his only son because his son is inhabited or possessed. And he's fighting, trying not to do that. Would you pray with him? And I said, you send him to me. 5.30 tomorrow night, I'll shut the doors at 5.30, and then we will get serious. 
Well, I made a mistake, and here was a mistake I made. I did not consider the fact that he would be there the very next or the very afternoon. And so about 5.15, he shows up. Well, wouldn't you know, at 5.15 is our busiest time of the day because we're trying to deliver cars. I'm trying to run estimates. I'm trying to get checks for cars, rent cars turned in. And it's sometimes the office was total chaos. And it took a while to get work through all of it. And the young man came in a little bit too early. And we were in the middle of chaos. He came in, introduced himself, and I said, oh, my, if you'll just sit right here just for another 10 or 15 minutes, I'll be free and we will talk. Well, the minute he sat down, I could tell that he was in dire trouble. <clears throat> and so I started working through my issues and my problems with my customers because as you know, sometimes they get a little bit antsy if they're not first in line. After about 10 or 15 minutes, this young man, what does he do? He gets nervous and gets up and leaves. Two days later, this was in the Norman transcript, and some of you may have seen this. You can pass it around if some of them want to look at it. And this is one of my failures. I was not listening or I would have had the young man that worked for me sit with him and be with him until we could clear the office. Or I could have done the rude thing and I could have ushered everybody out of the office and started it in. Either way, it's one of my losses and one of my regrets. This appeared in the Norman transcript, and it goes something like this. 911 operator says, what is your need? And she said, the man across the street from me, his young child, about eight or nine or ten, his wife, and he are in the, they're in the front yard, and they're arguing and fighting. Oh, no, he's stabbing the boy. You have to come quick. Send an officer right away. This is not good. Oh, my. Now he's turned on the wife. Officer, send an officer now. Oh, the officer's here. Good. Uh, he wouldn't lay down the knife, and he shot him. Two are down. One is in bad shape. Send an ambulance. The gentleman that came to see me had died. The little boy was dead. The wife survived with 15 stab wounds in her face, arms, torso. And you see, if I had been listening more closely, if I had been better prepared, then I would have done some things to keep that from happening. And so I challenge you today as people Christ's people, God's people, to be always looking and always alert and always willing to pray for those that are in deep trouble and deep need. And so it's, it's Smith Wigglesworth said that it, it is better to always be prepared 
than trying to get ready to be prepared. And so in season, out of season, you may be a life-saving or a life-giving source. And so being ready at all times and understanding your power and your authority in the unseen realm is crucial. And so I can't say enough about what happens when we go into the, uh, into the prison because you see the prison is wrought with these kind of folks. And so when they come in to, to, to the class and when we see them cross their arms, guess what they're telling me? We're here. Show us what you got. And because these people have been through some stuff. And so they're hardened and many of them don't want to give in and they don't want to give up. But guess what? When God comes in, guess what happens? They have an encounter and the arms are unfolded and the tears flow. And so send me, here I am, send me becomes five, of the, could be the most important things in your life that you could say, send me. Because you might give a, be a life-giving source, a life-saving source. We've had uh, some cancer people and, and blind eyes and all kinds. If I told you all of it, we'd be here all day and all night and into the week. And so every time we have an encounter, then it drives us forward. It pushes us. Every time we have an encounter with one of these inmates or someone on the street, then it touches my heart that I'm doing the best I can to fulfill my destiny. I know what my purpose is now, but I want to fulfill my destiny. I want to run my race to win. Those that, and this is Mark 16, 17, those that believe will cast out demons. And we go back to Mark 16, 15, and it sends us into the world to preach the gospel. Those that believe in my name will cast out devils. And so you have authority. Jesus gave the disciples the authority, and he gave it to us. And we have the authority to deal with some of these things. But you, you need to begin to realize who you are, that you're a king's kid. After the encounter that I had and the, uh, some of the supernatural, the spiritual, and the dark things that I saw, I began to realize that I knew almost zero zip about the dark kingdom. And I began to chase after it. And in all the, uh, the books that I read, and, and I love Psalms, Psalms 91 is one of my favorites. Because I like it when he says that I can find the shelter under the wings of the Almighty. There's a secret place that I can go. And then I'll be shielded. He tells me that he will let no noisome pestilence come near my dwelling. And I like that. That's my thing. I want somebody to look after me in times of trouble. And down toward the end of it, it really gives me something that really excites me. It says he will give the angels charge over me that I will not dash my foot against the stone. And so I love Psalm 91. In reading that, I read it a lot of times through the years 
But I never, I never noticed this one, this scripture. And what this scripture says is, surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And that's Psalm 91.3. Look, a fowl to me meant a waterfowl, which is a duck. What's a duck got to do with me? And so I thought, if I wanted a duck, I'd go shoot one of them. And here it says that he's going to save me from a duck. Really? And so I begin to wonder about this. And, of course, you know, your mind becomes analytical and you begin to think about all this. And so I, then I, did, I decided I'd turn to something that I knew very well, and that was research. And so I began to research the scripture, and here's what I found. I found that fouling was an, an Egyptian sport. And the fouling, they've traced it all the way back that they were doing that even at the time that the Hebrews were there. And so fouling, they would take a snare or a net, and they would net a bird of prey, a falcon. And so once they would net this falcon and then they would get it into a place of captivity, then to, to control it, and this is interesting, what did they do to control the bird? Because it's a bird of prey and it has talons and it has a very strong beak. And so what they found out uh, worked really well is that they would make a leather hood and you've seen these on TV. And they would take the leather hood, hold the bird, put the leather hood down over the bird's head and over its eyes, plunged it into darkness, and the bird would become very stable and very still. But in the process of training, guess what? If they took the hood off to see what the bird would do, there everybody was in danger of the, the, the feet or the beak and so they would work and put a leather thong on its leg. And this leather thong then was attached to the bird's perch. And so if the bird decided that it was going to flee, guess what? It would only fly until it hit the end of this, and then it was very rudely jerked back. And so the bird found out that if it, was, if it misbehaved, then it did not get fed. And then when they took the hood off and it behaved itself, then they would feed the bird. And then slowly they would take the hood off, put the leather thong, a heavy one on its foot, and then they would send it because they would chase after rabbits and other uh, mice and other uh, prey. They would retrieve it because the bird could not fly very far with the leather thong attached to its leg. And in reading, in reading this, I began to realize that God was trying to tell me something from this scripture. And then all of a sudden, I realized that I was the bird or I was the prey and that I had been caught. And then he had put the hood over my eyes and I could not see the dark realm. I could not see the supernatural. I did not, be, I could not understand it because I was plunged into darkness and the only way that, that I could get out of that is Satan would take the hood off and then I would be allowed to do the things if I did 
things that he didn't like, then I was jerked back. And I've been through this several times, and I know what the problem was and where it started. I had to get to this point to begin to understand that I would embrace and begin to learn about the unseen realm. You know, the scripture tells us that the unseen realm is the, the realm that's permanent. This is just a temporal. And so I begin to chase after that. How do I know some of these things? And how do I know that I had been caught? Think about this. And all of a sudden, it became quite evident why that God moved us to Oklahoma. I didn't do that. I didn't have that kind of courage at that time in my life. God moved us to Oklahoma, and he moved us here for a purpose. And because, you see, it was like Abraham had an encounter with God. And when he had an encounter, things changed. God sent him to another place and told him that he would show him. And so from place to place, Abraham moved because God told him to. And I heard a pastor here on TV here not too long ago said that's the first example of GPS and Google, Google Maps. And so the, he showed them the way, and so they went. And so Abraham then, because of doing what he was told, he became the father of many nations and a blessing to many nations. And so you see giving up what I gave up in the education and the, the realm that I lived in became okay because I found something that gave me more satisfaction, gave me more joy and thrill and pushed me forward into my spiritual, my Christian life. And because after all of this, I found a great deal of comfort in, in uh, spiritual warfare and the skills that I was taught. And so the body shop became a, a place of t trial. And I, be <laughs> and I began to uh, test the things that I had learned. Because people would come into the body shop and then I would be willing to act like a fool, ask them if I could pray for them and help them with all the problems that they were going through. And to, to my surprise, many of the people that came in and, and said, oh, yeah, yes, uh, if you can help us, yes, absolutely, pray for you, pray for me. And so then I became quite surprised that at some of the times I thought, well, I, was kind of, I looked a little bit foolish doing this, but that's okay. Because once we begin to pray and things begin to happen, then guess what? Then people begin to look like, wow, how did that happen? I feel better already. And so God began to uh, show us. And, you know, as, as I progressed with this, all of a sudden, I had what I will call a lion's den experience. And so, you know, God does things as he chooses. And he does them the way that he does so that you will be hard-pressed to turn him down. And so 
after Judy started in the prison, she was in the prison for about five years as a mentor at Mabel Bassett Maximum Security. And she said several times, go with me. Get your badge. Go with me. And I said, no, 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 and no. I said, what, what are these women in there for? Uh, well, most of them murdered their husbands or their boyfriends. I said, oh, really good. That's where I want to be. I want to be in maximum security with all the ladies. Okay, right. No, I'm not going. And so after the consistently refusing to, to have anything to do with it, uh, one night in the middle of the night, um, and I'm usually a pretty heavy sleeper. Once I go down, I'm down. And then once I'm awake, I'm up. I, I was awakened in the middle of the night, and it was, there was a presence in the room. And I bolted straight up in bed, and I was ready to fight. And then I thought, well, we'll do warfare first. And so I commanded the devil and all of his disciples to get out of here. You have no place here. The blood of Jesus covers me in this house. Get out of here. Guess what? It didn't leave. And I thought, oh, dear. This is going to be a fight. I've got an intruder. And then out of that inky black came a voice. And it was a very kind voice. And it said, get ready. I'm sending you into the lion's den. And I thought, oh, great. Now, and this going to be great. He said, but don't worry about it. I said, well, you know, that's easy for you to say. Don't worry about it. Because I said that I would be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I'm finishing up. I don't want to hold you too long. And so I began to think about this. And finally I said, okay, Judy, I need a badge, I guess. And she said, oh, good. How did you arrive at that conclusion? I said, let's not talk about it now. <laughs> And so we took the, the, uh, the steps to get a badge, and we got approved. And so we started going in, and, and the 10 years seemed like a very short time. Uh, when we first started going in, we, I realized that we were dealing with gangs and, and gangsters and, and all kinds, but they never gave us a bit of trouble. They would come in, close their arms, sit there, be quiet, and listen. And when God showed up and touched them, listen, I've seen 76 inmates slide out of their chairs and sing, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Tears streaming down their faces, five different kinds of gangs. And so when we go in, I know that God goes before us. And if you decide to be the sent ones, he'll go before you because he's not a respecter of persons. And so every they, one thing that I learned is when they come in, I shake their hand. And I won't turn their hand loose no matter how bad they look or act or growl until they look me in the eye. And then I say, 
God loves you, brother. Welcome. And it melts them. And so out of all of that, in the last 10, 12 years that we've been doing this, we've been in eight prisons here in Oklahoma. We've been in maximum security, minimums, mediums, work release. Been in two in South Dakota, a max and a minimum or a medium in South Dakota. And all the time that we have done this, I've never felt fearful. Because when we go in, the spirit of our living Lord is always there to meet us. And so I appreciate your indulgence. I appreciate you coming and listening. And uh, didn't fall, I didn't see anybody fall asleep. So hopefully I didn't bore you too much. But uh, I, uh, I'm going to ask my niece, Sasha Brown, to come up. And she just came back from the Ukraine and she was at the Ukraine on the Russian border. And as most of you know, uh, Russia and Ukraine are at, at a kind of a war. They shoot at each other, and they lost the Crimea. And so it's a big to-do. And so it's a little bit, well, it's a lot dangerous. Sasha will talk to you about her trip to the Ukraine. Hi. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a second-year medical student. Um, and so I've always loved missions. I've always felt called to do international missions. Um, and so this year, when it actually became a possibility, I decided, you know, I started praying about it. I was like, all right, you know, the Lord's going to say yes, and I'm going to go, and it's going to be just an amazing experience. And so I started praying about it, and I kept praying about it, and I kept praying about it, and I never got a yes. I was, you know, like, Lord, I really want to do this, but, you know, I'm not hearing anything from you, but I never heard a no. So I was like, well, I'll just start the process, and we'll see. We'll see where it goes. And in hindsight, I think that if I ever actually considered I was going to do this trip, I probably would have backed out because I was terrified. I, my husband wasn't going with me. I was going by myself. I was going to the Ukraine which is not necessarily a glamorous place to go, so it was not even going to be a vacation. Um, and so I kind of just walked through the process. School was really distracting, so I just kind of kept doing the steps and never really thought much about it. And um, even um, the night before the trip, I texted one of my friends, and I said, all right, tomorrow around 3, text me and make sure I made it to Minneapolis. Because at that point, I was ready to back out. Up until I got on that plane, I was ready to just, you know, refund my ticket and stay home. Um, and actually, a week before, uh, we uh, came here for the, for the very first time. And um, the pastor who was speaking that day gave me a prophetic word. And... Um, he said that in the next three weeks, you're going to get an answer to a mountain that you've been coming up against. Um, and so, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Um, and so, I, you know, I finally make it there, and I'm all pumped. I'm like, all right, I'm here. The Lord's with me. This is going to be an amazing experience. And so then we get on a bus. We were supposed to have an eight-hour bus ride. And the eight-hour bus ride turned into 16 hours. Our bus broke down three times. And at that point, I was like, yep, I made a mistake. I was not supposed to come. I'm not feeling charitable. I just want to go home. 
Um, and I remember after about 10 hours of no air conditioning, my muscles were hurting because I was holding on to my seat because the roads were so bad. I remember the Lord whispering to me saying, you know, the hardest, sometimes when the journey is the hardest to get there, the time there is going to be the most fruitful. And um, I just know that that couldn't have come from me because at that point, I wasn't even trying to be in a good mood. I was like miserable. I was hot. And um, I wasn't even talking to God at that point. And he just said, he said, you know, just stick with me. And um, the next day was our first day we went to a nursing home. Um, and I think the, one of the pictures um, is me talking to, yeah, the sweetest old man. Um, we went to this nursing home, and we weren't actually giving anyone medical care. We were just going. And a lot of our team were actually, most of them were unbelievers. We, were, we had eight medical students and five doctors. And um, we just went into this nursing home, and just the love that we brought in was just life-changing for these people. I mean, you would just make eye contact with them and they would burst into tears because they were so happy that these Americans were coming just to love on them. And we weren't even giving them medical care. We were just talking and, and saying, hi, what's your name, and hugging them. And it kind of hit me in that moment that God was bringing us, he brings his love in the best ways, even with unbelievers. I mean, he doesn't, care who it is. He's like just ready to love on people. Um, and then uh, that was just, that was probably like one of the coolest things that we did. Um, and the area we were in, people were so starved for affection. They were so starved for hope that that was what was so life-changing for me is that the hope we got to bring in, yes, we gave, I mean, we provided about 600 patients with medical care, but um, it was night and day, the difference in their faces when they would leave us after talking to us. They would walk away and they were hopeful. They, were walk they walked away and they felt loved. And um, for me, I think that I got so much out of the trip because I realized that God was with me every step of the way. Anytime I needed to feel something, anytime I needed to feel encouraged or or hopeful, or courageous, the emotion was there. And it wasn't because I was pulling it out of myself. It was because God was giving it to me. He was saying, hey, I'm walking with you. This is hard, and this is scary, but I'm with you every step of the way. And I'm going to, you know, do great things through you because I'm great. And uh, then one of just the last things that really touched me was on the way home, you know, the trip was over. I was trying to get back to America. I had lost my team because the airport was insane. And I was just, I had, a, you know, a countdown to get to my next flight. And I had to get through customs and I had to get through all these things. And again, I just started feeling that fear. And I just started feeling that just panic. And I just remember saying, you know, Jesus, just be in the situation with me right now. Because I am like freaking out. And uh, I just remember this peace coming over me, and, and it was kind of like one of those movies where, you know, it's dark, you know, the scene is dark, and then, you know, something happens, and it just becomes light. I felt hopeful, and the situation didn't change. I still had to get through all of these things and do all these things in an airport that no one could understand me, um, but 
I felt like I wasn't alone. And, and each person after that, after I just prayed Jesus into that, each person was kind. And even my passport control officer, which they're never nice, was just the sweetest lady. Like, she gave me the most, like, kindest smile and um, just was, like, happy to see me. And, and then I made it to my flight, and I was just like, you know, God, you're so good. Like, that was for me. Like, that wasn't even for the people that were there. But, like, he gave that to me as, like, a little gift. And, uh, yeah, so that's just what I wanted to share. And it was just a really great experience. Would it be okay if I prayed for you? May I pray for you as, you, as, you, as you're being released? Father, we just thank you today for those that came, Father. And we pray that these are the, the uh, beginning of the sent ones. And so, Father, we hope today that, that, that uh, what was said today would impress someone that would touch a heart today to realize that the power of God is beginning to touch, it, uh, touch them and, and begin to knock at their heart, that they would also become the sent ones. And so, Father, we pray that you would put someone in their path during this week or next week that will come to them and see the light and ask them for prayer and give them the opportunity to experience you and the power that you have and the power that you release us. And so, Father, we pray for the, as they go forth that they be blessed, their families be blessed, and that they have a blessing for coming today and, and, uh, and listening to those things that are possible. And we just thank you today, and we desist in Jesus' name. Amen.